Hello and welcome to the Snippets of Leadership podcast. Hello and welcome to today's masterclass. This is a message I've recorded after I finished editing the episode you're about to listen to. Because of a mistake in recording, I wanted to give you a heads up that my voice is scratchier and rougher than usual in the episode. I'm really sorry about that. Luckily, I will not be the one doing most of the talking, so once you go beyond the intro, it should be a much smoother listening experience. Sorry again about this, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to our first Leadership Masterclass. This is a special episode where it's not just going to be me talking, but I'm going to bring in an external perspective, specifically the one of someone who has built a good amount of experience in the trenches and that has a story to tell. So my guest today is leading the tax and legal division of Deloitte's Innovation Incubator, which is the garage, with the goal of developing innovative products, services, and business models internally and for their clients. She started her career working on tax compliance, reporting, and advisory for multinational groups, and she later brought her technical knowledge onto an innovation challenge. After that, she was elected to join Deloitte's innovation program and extend the tax and legal division of the garage. I'm very excited to have her as my first guest. Please welcome Christina Koenen. <laughs> Thank you so much for the introduction and having me here. I'm really looking forward. Thank you for being here. And I just want to dive right in because honestly, looking at, um, well, I've met you some time ago, but looking at what, let's say, your career process thus far, it's a very interesting background and profile you've got because you've started from something that, at least from the outside, looks fairly traditional, like taxes and everything surrounding it, and transitioned within the same company to a more innovative uh, area. So um, I guess that right now you, both, you still see a bunch of very different people and you engage with very different profiles in your life. And my first question based on that would be, what was the struggle if there was one at all in the beginning to adapt to those different perspectives? Yeah, thank you so much for that question. Yeah, I mean, in order to build an incubator successfully, you need to have to have full commitment and support from top management, you need to have a vision, a mission, and a plan for your goals and objectives and actions. So coming back to your point regarding the struggle, when we started to work in the garage, we realized that we had to adjust the traditional structures. In order to get uh, or in order to act fast, you need to provide shortcuts and processes to promote entrepreneurship and innovative ideas. So we had to get rid of long and complex approval processes. And now we have processes in place which are adaptable to new situations and flexible to allow changes easily. So the second struggle is about talent and acceptance. For every product we develop, we have a dedicated team working on it. So project managers, designers, techies from our garage core team and subject matter experts from business. So those subject matter experts rotate into the garage for dedicated innovative project, uh, projects. 
So we had first to create new career pathways to attract talent and give them a career opportunity. And on the other hand, we had to have quick wins to get the acceptance from middle management. Because, I mean, obviously the problem is that those subject matter experts, they are working on the traditional business, right? Or for the traditional business itself. So somehow we got to get them freed up because most of the time, those people who have really great ideas um, don't have the time. So we had to get the middle management support and reward the initiatives, whether those are successful or not. Okay, yeah, it, it echoes actually something that I've seen a lot as how middle management does have a key role in these aspects, because it's not just what the name says, like middle management, so managing a team, but it's also being the center of a very complex network of uh, communication, being able to relate to different people. And it's a whole new dimension of the, um, of the job that they had uh, in mind in the beginning, usually. And speaking of, um, I just mentioned something uh, following your, your comment about managing and having to deal with different people, attracting talent, uh, adapting, like putting processes in place that would still um, relate to both sides of, um, of, of the worlds that you're, uh, that you're dealing with. Um, I want to look at the personal aspect. So I'm sure you have to deal with a whole set of, you know, different people, project priorities. And when it comes to your role specifically dealing with that, is there something that you have learned in the process? Like, I don't know, a skill, a competence, a set of tools that you now think is a key aspect of your job and you think it's something that um, should be exported to other areas? Yes, <laughs> totally, <Great. laughs> totally. And I think the quote from Richard Branson answers your question pretty well. You don't learn to walk by following rules. You learn by doing and falling over. So what do I mean with that? You have to be open-minded. You have to be passionate about it. And you have to create a, uh, sorry, you have to create a structure in order that passion can survive. And you have to fight for it every day for your beliefs. And I think the most thing which has even more increased were, were my communication skills. Okay, that's key. <laughs> I really appreciate you saying that. Um, now, that's probably actually it's it tr helps me transition very fast to another question that I wanted to ask you because it's um, you mentioned communication skills, and for me, that's for me everything relates to communication. It's uh, it's something that a lot of people think or assume they are uh, they're great at but when you start dealing with it or digging deeper you see where shortcomings are and for me it's key because it relates to uh, feedback it relates to motivation it relates to uh, general trust between uh, team and uh, their leader and this is something that I try a lot to export maybe to traditional uh, organizations in that I work with. Now, the question that I wanted to get to is what is something that the two areas that you have been seeing or work with can learn from each other, both in terms of uh, leading 
and in terms of just working together. Usually, a small clause to this, I see that a lot of, let's say, more innovative um, companies don't want to, don't think there is that much value in something traditional, you know, uh, move fast and break stuff. That's the mantra. However, I still do think that there is something to be learned there. Is there something that you've noticed that is something that should be uh, maintained from a traditional organization into an innovative one? And what should be brought from an innovative one into a traditional one? Yeah, I think this is a really, really good question because, I mean, from the traditional organization, we can learn a lot. I mean, it has the structure already and everything goes hand into hand. And I think it's like really good for the structure itself. And what I said before is that you have to have passion to do the work, what you want to do, but you also need the structure. So I think you can adopt the structure from the additional organization. And then of course you get like in an incubator, those rapid fast processes, and also the creative aspects which move forward. So if you combine both, you have like a really, really good catalyzator in order to yeah, make transformation right. And I think it's also about the people. I mean, you also see that in our business that we have different kinds of people coming together and working together. And I think this one is also the key element. So when I hire people, for example, I choose those people who have the same vision as I do and can adopt to the team. So meaning adopting to the traditional and giving them also a new, yeah, a new vision and mission how to do things. And that is basically, I mean, basically it's a setup of the team is the key. And it's essential to have a common ground from the beginning. And this is also something which was really interesting. So how do we get um, the traditional people on board in a more creative space? And I thought first it took maybe quite, it will take quite a while, but it didn't. Like everything was really, really fast moving and people were committed and they got really good ideas and worked really good together. So it was really good to combine different skill set or different people with different skill set to create something really new, something, yeah, like a moonshot project. It was really, really interesting. That sounds great because it actually connects directly to the... Um well, you actually gave me an answer to the question that I wanted to ask you, which was um, if you include, let's say, people from a more traditional background into one of your innovation projects, uh, what kind of barrier can you expect? And I was expecting an answer in terms of, you know, not adapting well to the processes. But you basically proved me wrong on this one, which is, by the way, great to hear. Um, at this point, I'm going to twist the question around a bit as in what are uh, if any at all, um, any, let's say, conflicts that you have to deal with between the two mentalities and how have you learned to overcome them? Mm, I mean, I'm always really, really optimistic and open-minded. <laughs> so, in general. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I think it's always um, that you listen to what people are saying. So in order to 
react on things which haven't been or which didn't work out or somehow you always have to think and negotiate between the both i mean it's it's natural i mean it's everywhere so um I don't think that there's a generate valid formula because, I mean, each project is unique and must be discovered by yourself. So, I mean, there is like no, no single day which is the same. And I mean, it's a really huge organization with complex system in itself. So, I mean, you always have to react new because, I mean, as I said, there's like no general formula. I always have a look at... Um, what went wrong, how can we improve ourselves, but it doesn't mean that the next project where we are getting on, there shall be the same problem because it's always a different challenge which you are facing. Makes sense. And on this, I do think that you you see the whole perspective also from, you see the whole thing also from the perspective of someone who can actually communicate well, because you mentioned communication before you started by saying you listen a lot. And all of these are, of course, great uh, points to have and great uh, traits to have in leadership. From my experience, not everyone has them. So maybe that's the, that's one of the areas to focus on. Um, but I have one last question specifically on your role as um, a leader and what you have learned. As in, um, what is, if any, a, a misconception that you have seen in terms of leadership? What I mean is, when I was, um, I've been taught a lot of good things when I was studying in university and a bunch of wrong ones. <laughs> and one of the wrong ones that I've, um, that I was told was that if your um, manager is someone who complains a lot and then you do something and the person doesn't complain, you should treat it as good feedback, which for me is one of the most stupid things I've ever heard. But of course, I found out later. But apparently it's a concept that still is ongoing in leadership without going to something as extreme as this. Is there something that you have seen that people tend to use in a leadership context uh, but that you have seen that at least for yourself is pointless. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I think it's a misconception to rely on the fact that salary is enough to motivate employees on a daily basis. So you have to reward your employees by recognition. So what do I mean with this statement? I focus on an integrative management style. I, As I said before, I respond to the different needs of each employees. So I listen to what they say, embed their ideas in my decision and give them opportunities, responsibilities and create a good trustful atmosphere. Because to my mind, personal recognition energizes them more than anything else. And this has not only a positive effect on the individual well-being of the employee, it also leads to a considerable increase in business performance. So I focus more on strengths and weaknesses and opportunities more than problems. And I think I consider this to be a basis for a successful team leadership. Definitely. And you did mention trust right now, which is one of the most, well, actually the number one driver of performance, which is, yes, uh, a great, not just a concept, but something, uh, a great uh, descriptor of a relationship you should have in a team. and. Possibly my last question for for you for today. Um, 
if someone is, uh, based on your experience, if someone is stepping up for the first time to a leadership role, so not just managing tasks, but in general, managing people, what is an important shift they need to make in how they perceive themselves and their job? What did you have to go through, for example? So I think it is important to become aware of what makes us unique and what values we pursue. So ours is making an impact that matters. And this means that profit will come naturally when doing the right thing. So in the long run, there's no trade-off between purpose and profits. If we focus on purpose, like making an impact that matters, profits will follow. And as I said before, you have to act fast and you need those, uh, you need to provide shortcuts and processes and promote entrepreneurship. And you need to reward even unsuccessful initiative to encourage risk taking. And also the manager should be trained to be coaches to their team to lead from behind and inspire. And I think what managers should read, and I think it, if you listen to this podcast, you probably will also hear it if you have read it already. Um, you should definitely read Reinventing Organization from Frederick Laloux. And you also yeah. should read uh, Simon Sinek's Start with the Why. Because mm-hmm. I thought it was really inspiring when actually Simon said that great companies do not hire skilled people and motivate them. They hire already motivated people and inspire them. And he actually said that those employees are more productive and innovative and the feeling they bring to work attracts also other people to work there as well. And I can totally, yeah, I can totally say that's so true because I've seen that in the past. And this is also what I said in the beginning with the teaming. I mean, the teaming is the key. You need those people Uh, to work together because, I mean, if a group of people working together, there can be something really new and moonshot can be be created. Yeah, I think that's basically it. That's great. And you you mentioned actually a number of things that I truly believe in. First of all, you mentioned something about risk-taking. And I'm a big fan of uh, being a- of enabling others to take competent risks, which are risks that you that you're able to demonstrate generate a learning, and of course publicly praise them and so on. And you also mentioned something about purpose, like in general, like what is the purpose? What motivates people? Hire someone with a similar purpose and let them do the rest. Of course, simplifying, but I think it's a great perspective, and it's interesting that you mention this uh, in a question about new managers. Sometimes people would expect an answer along the lines of, well, you need to start with tools, you need to start with uh, blueprints, uh, uh, you know how you need to basically something very hard skills focused. But instead, you focus on the other side, like mm, softer, if you pass me the term. So looking at purpose, looking at motivation, looking at relationships, looking at trust. and I personally think it's a great perspective to have and to start from. So uh, I don't have actually any more questions for you. I am I'm very glad to have had you on this podcast. It's been a quite interesting conversation and possibly something to think about for the future. 
I would love to have you again later on at some point. But in the meantime, I would just like to thank you for your time and uh, for sharing your experience with me and for whoever is listening. Uh, for my listeners, you can, if you have any questions for me or for Christina, you can feel free to reach me directly via the links I leave at the podcast, or you can feel free to contact directly Christina on LinkedIn and engage directly with her. I don't have anything else to ask you or to, well, probably I would just let you have your time and go on with your day. I thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience with, with us and I hope to see you next time around. <laughs> thank you so much. It was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you again. Thank you for listening. My name is Eduardo Bindazane from EBZ Coaching. I'm a leadership and communication trainer and consultant. And if you have any questions about what you've heard in this episode, please reach out to me via LinkedIn, Facebook, or my website. I'll be answering the most interesting questions on the show. And if you know someone that will benefit from this type of content, please make sure you recommend this podcast to them. Thank you and see you next time.